Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you so perfectly, so amazingly went beyond word. But in your word, ushered forth, you you purposed with your word to demonstrate to us our need and to provide for us a Savior and to express to us indescribable love Love that will consume and fill and be the theme of our praises for an eternity of eternities. Because you loved in such a way that you demonstrated to us. Father, thank you for this. And I I pray, Lord, by your word now alive would be made alive and real to us by your spirit and in the fullness, the full measure of the demonstration of your love to us in and through your beloved son, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Holy Spirit, we we pray and ask that you would inscribe these truths on our heart that this love that we have received would overflow through us, not only in word, but in deed and in service and in demonstration of you, of your love, of your word, of your deed, because it all goes, Lord, to your glory and for our good. So thank you for this time, Father, in celebration of you and all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This this may seem maybe an obscure passage for a Christmas message in thinking about considering the incarnation of the Son of God. But as I was preparing for Colossians, actually, um, some cross-reference passages came to light and just spending time meditating on them, considering them. There was like a somewhat of a veil removed to see, for me personally, just a depth of richness to the incarnation, the demonstration of God's love to us. To see it in action, even though we weren't there physically in the time of Christ. But think about what if, what if we only had the words written on page for us. There, there was no, just, just words of, of promise, but no words of, of actual encounters with the pillar of fire, with, with the cloud, with the tabernacle, the evidences of God that he had given to us to, in his desire to tabernacle with us, to be with us. What value would just the words hold to us in the same way if we just speak promises to one another, speak truths to one another that aren't carried out in, in action, in deed, in, in service. 
do they really hold any, any intrinsic value? Do they hold any transformative work? And God, in his infinite knowledge, in his preeminence, in, in knowing us before time began, knew how desperate we were and needed these revelations of himself. And if you remember, we studied in the attributes of God, the love of God is not just a theory cast out there for pondering and consideration. It is a love that had an intended target, an intended action, an intended work in the revelation of himself, but also in that revelation through himself and giving of himself to tabernacle, to be with us and to redeem us so that we would one day be with him. As we are brought into time and existence through you know, our, our finite expanse of from creation to ultimate glory, for the infinite to reach into the finite at the exact time and place in your heart to reveal himself, we know love by this. This is the revelation of not God just speaking a promise, but fulfilling that promise in and of himself coming, taking on our likeness to reveal himself through that human likeness where the Godhead and the full humanity dwell in perfect unity. And this is the depth of the profound truth found in John's simple statement. We know love by this. We're, we're now not only able to have a, a mental ascent, not only an understanding of these words given to us that speak of this love of God, but we have now, through the work of the Spirit, through the revelation of his very words, the experiential engagement of this love. It has been revealed to us. It has been given to us in this historical reality of the tangible, evidentiary reality of God himself coming to earth, walking among us, demonstrating his love, his presence, his person of the Father, the Godhead, coming into the finite. And thinking about in this insignificant, seemingly insignificant, that is insignificant when you consider the expanse of the universe, of the, the millions of galactic wonders that are out there. This small planet in the Milky Way orbiting about this sun, he chose to create and to reveal and to redeem and to ultimately glorify. Like I said, an eternity of eternities just at this wonder. But we have recorded both the both in, in Luke and Mark, you know, witnessing expression, the, the fullness of, of God's love, this expression. In Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek to save that which was lost. Intended purpose of that love of God coming to the earth. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give to give his own very life as a ransom for the many. And this holy, living, revelatory example of God's very heart, filled with, with his eternal 
loving kindness is spoken of and, and more powerfully lived out before us in the person and work of Christ. Should this not inflame our hearts in worship and in awe, as undeserving as we are, as needy as we are, even in this very day and age, to reveal himself to us in such an intimate way, in the fulfillment of everything that has been written, everything that has been known and documented, which were not just mere words on a page, but were actual historical facts of the incarnate Son of God. This is the love of God fully demonstrated, fully consummated through the laying down of of himself in the flesh for us. As rebellious, as as lost, dead, indifferent enemies of God. And this is the celebratory beauty of the incarnation of the Son of God that we have. The true reason for our celebration of this season. That the eternally beloved has entered our domain, giving fully of himself. Laying down his life of his own will. Taking up his life of his own will. And to abide with us, to tabernacle with us, to give us a renewed heart, to save us from our sin and ourselves so that we may eternally be with him. And now, not only in this life, but but forever. Can we ever tire of, of this reality? Can we ever exhaust the glory of this truth? Can we, will we let the reality of the Father's love bind our hearts in adoration and worship and in obedience to him. God gave of himself to the death for us. This, this eternal taking on the temporal to bear the condemnation, the shame, the wrath of his own father so that we might be free, we might be pure, we might be accepted of the triune through the beloved son. This is the wonders of the glory of God. But we, we as his own, as his elect, his children, we don't, we are not to stop there. We are to abide and continue in the love of God as Jude talks about. But no, we have a living example for our lives in this brief existence that we share on the earth and in preparation for that eternal mode. Think of this. We have been, by grace, through faith, been what? We've been born again. We've been made new. We've been giving, given a fleshy heart that can have these words, these truths, these realities of God written upon them to transform us from within. But as newborn beings, not like what Nicodemus consider as those who could possibly somehow be born again physically, but in our spiritual rebirth, we are now like Christ. We are to be Christ-like. And as those in him to follow his example, we are in like manner to be not only gracious recipients of his transformative love, But we are now called to be vessels that both embody and express this divine love of God to one another. And not just within the confines of the church, but into our enemies, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to distant lands, Lord willing. 
And here, here for us is that miraculous work of the condescension brought to bear in our hearts and lives. This miracle of great mystery, of divine love that has now purchased and redeemed his church is to now be expressed through us. And as I said, to especially to our brothers and sisters in the church, as those who have also been mutually forgiven and given this love of God, but beyond to enemy territory, if you will. And will we not do so if we have any love for God? John, the apostle that the apostle that he expresses of himself, that Jesus loved now having proposed this really flaming, constraining example of love and the father's motivation to it. He now proceeds to show us what should be the, the, the temper, the impact, the effect of this, our Christian love, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And if born again through the person of this divine love, how should our lives be impacted and how demonstrate this love that has been given to us, both to one another and to a lost world? What, what does this demonstration look like according to Christ's example for us and to us? In, in one aspect, in a greater aspect, in the highest degree, it should be so fervent that we would be willing to literally lay down our lives for one another. For the death of the good of the church. And for the safety and for the salvation of other dear brethren. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Paul testified of this. He lived in this manner. We, we know in Philippians 2.17 that in his ministry to all the churches... He especially speaks of this life-sacrificing service as a joy for the sake of others and to encourage us in this Christ-like love and service. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. And John has in mind here, even exposing ourselves to hazard, when called to for help, to, to preserve those who are in some one or, or more aspects uh, of more service, being more serviceable to the glory of God and to the edification of the church. And this is what Paul means in, in his thanksgiving recognition to those who served him in his ministry. He says in Romans 16, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches and the Gentiles. How mortified should the Christian be to this life in this earth? How prepared to part with it? How well assured we should be of such a better life to come that we'd be willing to lay down our lives if necessary for the sake of another. And John doesn't stop there only in a, in a larger, broader sense, calling us to lay down our lives. He, he speaks now according to the revelation we have in Christ's life as testified before us. Just look and meditate of how, how humble, how serving the Lord Jesus was and how he is. How he demonstrated such compassion to those in dire need. Blind, lame 
hungry, destitute. And then so many practical blessings and benefits. Think about the 5,000 who were fed. The great harvest of fish. Yes, those were supernatural miracles, but they had a very practical application too, that God is concerned in demonstrating his love in every aspect of our lives. In great degree to salvation, but compassionate, liberally, generously giving to our very basic sustenance. John says in verse 17, in the same manner, but whoever has the world's goods, speaking to believers here, and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How practical is the love of God? How can we who have the love of God not also share this love? Not just in deep theological discourse. Oh, it is a joy and a wonder and a blessing to fellowship around the word of God. Amen. But even in rolling up our sleeves, getting dirty, opening our homes, giving selflessly, selflessly to the needs of others. And what this looks like for the newborn believer in Christ is, is what we see profoundly in 1 John 3.17. This is an aspect, a reality of our newborn birth being born again of that love now filling our hearts overflowing not only in word but in deed and in action and if we consider the sovereign and the always 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 good purposes of God he never he cannot do anything evil to us ever if we consider these and what it is that pleases God that some Christians by his purposes, there are poor believers out there. Why? It's the blessed opportunity to exercise the charity and love of those that are rich who do have ability to support, to sustain, to provide. Christ didn't withhold any of his riches because of his position or, or some need to accumulate wealth for the sake of his, his temporary temporal security. But freely, liberally giving of himself for others in every need. And look at the feeding, as I said, of the 5,000, the fish, and on and on. And it, it pleases the same God to give to some of the Christian brethren this world's goods, this world's riches. This is not a, a message on giving. I'm not, I'm not pushing or prodding for, for money for the church. I'm talking about the overflow of the love of God and the practical realities of this life. It pleases the same God to give to some the, the Christian brother this world's good in order that they can exercise their grace in communicating this love to poor saints. And those who have this world's good must love God more. And their good brethren more and be ready to distribute for their sakes. What do we have that we did not receive from God in the first place? It is not of our own doing to have the knowledge and the skills to even do our jobs, to earn our income. All of those things come from God. And it appears here that this love to the brethren is founded upon 
the love of God, and that it is here called so by the Apostle. Who dwelleth the love of God in him? How dwelleth the love of God in him? This love to the brethren is love to God in them. And where there is none of this love to them, there is no true God at all. No true love to God at all. But there are may other there may be other fruits of this love too. And therefore the, the apostles' desire here is that it all should be unfeigned and operative if circumstances allow it. He says in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. And John is, is basically rounding off this section of the letter, this paragraph, and he's preparing for the, for the next section, which we're not going to go into, but, but this call to his readers to love is not merely by saying kind things. We are to exhort one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to correct one another in love, to speak the truth in love. But above all, by action. Their love is to be demonstrated in truth, which is a call not just for actions to prove the reality of their inward feelings, but also for love which is in accord with the divine revelation of the reality and the love shown by Jesus to us. It's a reflection. And superficial compliments and flatteries are not becoming of true Christians, but the sincere expression of sacred affection, which in many instances call for service, services or labors of love. These are true evidences of the work of God in the believer's heart. Just consider for a moment the work of love in the servant of Christ. Paul looks into this very deeply in Romans 12. I want to look there. If you will, turn over to Romans 12 with me. I just want to read a few verses there that, that really we see this in action, these, these imperative participles that Paul uses, which is, which is for us a, a, a tangible expression of, of heart and life to be at work in the lives of believers. These are expression of the virtues that we read about and studied in Colossians 3 that we are to put on. This is the outward manifestation of those. If we look at verses 9 to 18, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. We can hide behind our words, but if our actions are followed up by the words that we say, it's very clear what we intend, what we mean, what's to be carried out. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. You see the action, the life behind these words, this demonstration of love. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. 
respect what is right in the sight of all men. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And finally, this love of God at work in and through our new hearts and lives as, as revealed to us through the Son of God, this truth will give great evidence and sincerity in religion, true religion, and, and give us hope towards God. And John says it much better. We will know by this, by this working of love demonstrated to one another in words, but also executed, carried out in deeds one to another. We will know by this that we are of the truth. What greater assurance can we have but to know that we are of the truth, the truth that comes from God himself, the truth that we are his. This is only wrought to us and brought about in reality in reality to us in our hearts by the work of the Spirit. We, we don't conjure this up. But as we see in one another these works of love, these manifestations of the love of God, there is great encouragement one to another that, man, that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. We know we are of the truth. And this is what Paul talks about in Romans, about encouraging one another in the faith of seeing this outworking of what God has done inwardly. And it will assure our heart before God. Oh, what! how precious is the peace of God. Peace with him because we are no longer enemies, but the peace of God that rules our hearts in the midst of, well, just look around, just look at Drudge Report. In the midst of this, we will, our hearts will be assured before him. It, it, it is a great happiness, a true happiness, that this heart experience peace with God and from God is, is, is to be assured of our integrity in religion, not man-made religion, but true religion wrought by God in our hearts. And with this assurance by the Spirit of God in our new hearts, we have a holy boldness. We now have access. We have confidence toward God in making our requests known to God more and more. Finding ever sufficient grace in time of need. Amen. But of even, even greater privilege in making those intercessions and thanksgivings for one another. To see that work of God in another believer's life. To hear about and be, be prompted by the Holy Spirit that there's a need, an ability to contribute to, to meet that need. Praise God, I want to see the blessing of God on that person. There is great joy in that. And the way we arrive at the knowledge of our own truth and uprightness in Christianity, in Christ, not of our own, and to secure our inward peace, is as Jude talks about, to abound to keep ourselves in the love of God and in the works of love toward those other believers and in those works of love to our enemies, to our neighbors, to those who despise us, who ridicule us, who mock us, who seek for our destruction. That same love should overflow. Brothers and sisters, I know that's not easy. But we are to give preference to one or another in love. And John, in this last verse, 
looks back actually to what he's just written in this paragraph. And in his declaring this obedience to this command of the Lord to love one another is the basis for knowing that we belong to the truth. And doing what is characteristic of the realm of truth is, is actually a sign. It's a testimony to our soul that we now belong to that realm. And interestingly enough, the verb he uses here, we know or we will know, is in a future tense. It has a present application, but it's looking to the future. And what, he, what he's meaning and intending here is John is not just thinking of, of our continual assurance that we belong to God but rather of the coming of a crisis of belief. That there will be challenges, desires brought by the world, by our own weakness, that will want to cause us to to doubt, to not trust God, to become indifferent, to become cold. And when we want to know whether or not we belong to God, that's what he's speaking about, that coming crisis that we will all face. And in such a situation, we are to examine ourselves to see, are we keeping the command given to us by God? Do we live, are we keeping ourselves in that love of God, realizing all that Christ has done on our behalf, living in that reality as we've just been going through Colossians, seeking the things that are above, setting your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, and putting off and putting on, just as we do clothes every morning, every day. Mortifying the sin by the power of the Spirit through the infusion of the Word of God. And putting on those virtues of Christ through prayer. Through trust in God Himself that He will do these things. That it is not of our own doing that we fully rely on His grace to make these, these virtues of Christ a reality in our heart. So that this love, his love will overflow to my brothers and sisters to see them mature in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to prepare them to see God with a pure heart. Jesus Christ, and by the way, that's not a first and a last name. He truly is the purpose of our celebration in this season of giving, of reflecting on the greatest gift ever given by the God of heaven himself. He was not under any obligation, under any duty. He was not under any outside constraint to demonstrate his love to us. That's mercy, brothers and sisters to choose to do that and reveal himself to us. But may our hearts be filled, not just in this month, but in January, through February, through March, each new day, as those mercies break across the horizon with the new sunrise. May we reflect on this greatest gift. May we be filled with awe and wonder. May we keep ourselves in this great love of God by faith through the spirit that's been revealed to our hearts and let this love be at work in us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. And by this, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence when? In the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such truly, Lord, an indescribable love. A condescending love, a a humility, a humiliation. To divest yourself of the glories of heaven and to take on this mortal flesh. Wonder of wonders. And to seek us out and to save us and to rescue us. God, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you for the sufficiency of the blood of Christ and its power to cleanse. It's it's power to flow into every nook and cranny and crevice and dark area of our hearts and to bring out purity. And for your spirit that has been dispatched, has been sent, our wonderful counselor and paraclete that comes alongside and, and reveals and grants us this assurance that we are yours and we are in you and you are in us. Well, Father of heaven, may our, our enjoyment of this season continue with each new day in this coming year. May we be truly sanctified by your word and your truth each new day. May we be truly filled and, and, keep, and striving to keep ourselves in your love. Oh, Father, there's, there's not a greater place to bask in. And we look to Christ because he has provided it all. We have done nothing in and of ourselves. Your, the faith the repentance, the justification, the regeneration is all your work. And we give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you glory and honor to your name for this. Now, Father, may we, by your love filling us, be so commissioned each day to go and broadcast this, to make disciples, to expand your kingdom, to see and to have and enjoy many new brothers and sisters in the faith by your doing, by your will, by your work. But may we be faithful messengers of such love and such grace and such mercy. In Jesus' holy name, amen.